Clockwise is brought to you by Hotspot Shield, full privacy and security for your online life. Go to j.mp slash techhiveshield to learn more. It's time for episode 16 of the Clockwise podcast from the editors of TechHive, PC World, and Macworld, recorded November 12th, 2013. Clockwise, four guests, four topics, 30 minutes. And welcome back to Clockwise, the podcast where a stitch in nine saves time. I'm your co-host, Dan Morin, and I am not joined this week by my co-host, Jason Snell, who was last seen clutching a Retina iPad Mini and running for the Mexico border. But we have a panelist, or a panel of three wonderful guests here. You won't even remember that there was a Jason on this show. Um, to my left is uh, Tech Hive Macworld PC World editor, Philip Michaels. Phil, how are you doing? I was promised that Jason Snow would be on the show, and now I'm very disappointed. Uh, I know. I'm no substitute. It's true. Well, you can go home. It's cool. Okay. Uh, also here, we have Tech Hive executive editor, Jason Cross. Hi, Jason. Welcome back. I'm trying not to be offended by the fact that you said nobody will remember that there was a Jason on this show. <laughs> oh, caught hoist by my own petard. Off to um, a rip-roaring start here with the I'm panelists. doing great. <laughs> you, you guys you guys have been great. You guys yeah. have been great, really. Uh, and rounding out our panel, uh, Macworld Associate Editor, Serenity Caldwell. Hi, Ren. Hello. Uh, to give everybody a little refresher on, on what we're doing here, um, we've each brought a technology topic to discuss today. And because we don't want to waste anybody's time, we're going to limit discussion of each of those topics to just five minutes. And since there is no Jason Snell here today... We'll start with my topic, because I'm a benevolent overlord. So let me let me launch it off by saying this. Uh, as many of you, my fellow panelists, know, we've recently had a bit of an, an, an email transition here in our offices. So uh, my question is, we've been doing email for like 40 or 50 years now. I, don't, I mean, not us personally, but, you know, as a culture, uh, I feel like we're still kind of bad at it. I mean, in general, it seems like that system is really, really complicated. And I'm starting to wonder, would we be better off... Is there something better than email? Can we do away with email? Wouldn't our lives be better if we didn't have email? Phil, what do you think? Yes, I, I, I was about to say no, Dan. That's that's crazy. And then I look at my own inbox, which is um, like the don't examples of how to don't communicate <laughs> with people. Um, yeah, email is is is. Um, very flawed because it's become sort of a crutch for people uh, on how to communicate. It used to be you had to pick up the phone, and really when you pick up the phone to call someone, you really are motivated to, to have a reason to call them, whereas now it's just easy to um, send out an email uh, or or even worse, forward an email. To, to it, it takes all of a few seconds, and then it just sits there in the inbox cluttering things up and distracting you from the messages that are important. That said, I like like the um, the archivable uh, uh, format of email, and I like having a, a paper trail and a record because I'm I'm not so good at uh, at memory sometimes. A, a paper trail? Do you print out your emails? Yes, and file I do, them? and I paper the walls with them. No, <laughs> I, a, not a, a sign of craziness. A virtual paper trail, Dan. A virtual okay. paper trail. Um, so I think that we will always need email. I just think that there is probably a better way to do it, some of which can be handled by uh, technology that uh, 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 sorts and uh, and trims your email box, and some of it by human behavior. 
if when you send an email that says, "Hey, write me back if you're interested," and I don't write you back, that means that I'm not interested. You don't need to send three follow-up emails. They so, want to make sure you got it. Yes, you know. Yeah, and that's... I, I got it. I read every email I get. Don't respond to every email I get because I do nothing but respond to emails. So both technology and human behavior will make email a much better place. Wouldn't you agree, Jason Cross? I'm not sure. I agree with that. What? <laughs> this uh, is the worst this. podcast ever. <laughs> it's it's email is one of those things that um, well, it's like that Churchill thing. Democracy is the worst form of government, except for all other forms that have been tried. <laughs> it's 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 not good, but it is. Everybody's tried to make it better or replace it with something else better, and nobody's come up with something. I think it's the world's oldest cloud service. Like long before anyone was calling anything a cloud service, it's a it's a it's a requirement. It's a it's a base layer for the internet. You can't sign up for anything without an email address That's or whatever. True. It's it's this strange thing that everybody has, everybody uses, everybody complains about, and nobody, at, no matter how big or small the organization, seems to be able to find a way to make it better, like truly better, not just little tweaks and gimmicks and stuff like that. So I think you're right in the fact that. Human behavior is going to have to play a really big part of that. I don't know how one changes the human behavior of literally everyone on the internet. <laughs> um, but I think that has well, to believe happen. Me, I don't people think have it's tried, right? <laughs> yeah. So I don't think it's a. I don't think the technology solution is necessarily going to make it happen. I think it's a human problem uh, and not easily solved. Like all human problems, Ren. Yeah. What do you think? Oh, gosh. I, you know, if I could use email just as a way to get assignments, I think it would be a wonderful service because that's basically what I use it for is anything large and important I expect to come through email. And all of the little stuff, the, you know, not really, not necessarily not interesting, but day to day communication, um, quick things about like where we're going to dinner or something like that. I feel like that's almost all transitioned to Twitter or one to one messaging services or, you know, Instant messaging. Do people still use that? Um, you know, email is such a weird service because it's a hybrid of all of these, right? <clears throat> it was designed at first so that we could send long versions of paper letters in electronic format to each other. And since then, it's just everybody has their own different magical use for email. It's like you were saying, Jason Cross, it's really hard to, to tell people, no, this is how you're going to use email right now. I kind of feel like it as a... Uh, as a service is kind of, you know, unfortunately uh, pigeonholed in a way that like that uh, that Twitter and Facebook don't really have, right? Where you, there's just so many options and ways to go into an email or, or using email uh, and your way of using email may be completely different from someone else's way of using email. And as a result, it just ends up as this massive inbox full of crud and cruft that uh, that we don't really know what to do with. I like Jason Cross's point that it's kind of the lowest common denominator because I, you know, I was told at one point by some of my friends who were, uh, who worked with say college students and the like that, you know, oh, nobody uses email anymore. They all use Facebook messages or what have you. And I think, you know, the virtue of email is that it is platform agnostic, right? Like everybody can get email and it's not beholden to any one single company, which is a kind of amazing when you think about it. But it also means that, you know, there's nobody can impose all the fixes on email, right? The, the technology kind of defies that. So yeah, I guess we're stuck with it for, uh, for better or worse. Phil, let's pass on to you. What, what's your topic today? I'm, uh, I have on my mind curved phones. They've been in the news a bit lately. 
led off by the Galaxy Round from Samsung, which I, I if you're going to hang a, a label on it, it's the first to feature a curved display, or so I've read on fine sites like techhive.com. It's only available in South Korea. It costs 1000 bucks, And uh, because we live in a Me Too society, I guess LG is now coming out with a uh, a smartphone, which they've begun to leak in the fashion that uh, companies now uh, leak product announcements with a drab of information. That's the G Flex, not officially confirmed yet, but on its way. And I read in Bloomberg, I believe it was Bloomberg, that Apple is going to get into the curved phone game. Jason Cross, what's with the curved phones? Why do we need them? Is this just a is this just a, another flashy feature that really ultimately doesn't matter? I think this is a perfect example of because we can technology. Uh, we've been hearing about curved screens forever and and there's places where curved screens make sense like in movie theaters where you you uh, the screen is so large and and you've got an audience that you want the edges to curve a little bit so that it appears flat to the audience and stuff like that. You don't really need that in a phone. Phones have also a weird property of kind of being used in two orientations. So it's if you're curving the screen up to down so that it's right, well, what happens when I turn my screen sideways? Is left to right curve wrong? Then why didn't you curve it that way to begin with? It's it's a, a very odd sort of thing. It, you run into all these problems of always having some of your pixels be off-axis viewed when the thing is curved and stuff. So outside of things like having to wrap a screen around your wrist or something like that. There's just not a lot of use for it. I think it's gimmicky. I think people are going to move away from it in most of these cases, and they're just doing it because they finally have gotten the technology to make curved displays uh, that aren't terrible. Yeah, I agree. I don't really know what I would – like if I had a curved display on my phone – I don't know what good that would be unless it was convex. I mean, putting it in your back pocket, maybe it uh, confirms to your rear end a little bit nice, more nicely if it's convex. But otherwise, it makes no sense to me. Like, n- absolutely no sense. Well, I-, I had a curved phone growing up, but it was, you know, attached to one of those landline things. And, you know, you picked up the receiver and the receiver had a nice curve to it. And Don't you really could, put you, that in your pocket. You could wedge it between your shoulder and your ear. Now, I, I honestly have no idea what the, like Jason's saying, I, I don't know what the advantage of this. I don't necessarily see uh, some need for this crying out other than I suspect it's one of those things that gets heavily influenced by media in that we've all seen like the science fiction movies of the future. Oh, in the future, people have curved screens. That's amazing. And, and people are going like, oh, well, that's, you know, clearly what we should be doing in the same way that we should be doing standing in front of our computers and waving our arms around in order to navigate websites. Um, so, but, you know, one of those things that when you actually put it into practice, you kind of start realizing that it looks a lot better than it actually works as a technology. And while I and while I bet that Apple is investigating the use of curved screens, I would also be kind of surprised if they actually came out with something, unless they found some reason to make it really compelling. But I, I think they're unlikely to make a curved screen just for the sake of having a curved screen. But you never know. Sometimes aesthetics can be a, a powerful impetus for doing things like that. From what I understand, uh, there's a reason beyond aesthetics and that the curved screen is a little bit easier uh, to grip than than the current uh, uh, favored design of the... the candy box type uh, uh, phone design. So there is that. Um, the Galaxy Round has a bunch of features where you can uh, uh, tilt to uh, to uh, cycle through songs or turn the screen on, and that seems 
quite frankly, dumb. I think what people want in phone makers to concentrate on is let me uh, let me go longer without having to charge it up. And uh, when I drop it, please make it so that it doesn't break upon impact, which is why you're seeing more with um, uh, the sapphire-based uh, uh, screens. It's a Now it'll roll when you drop it. It'll have a nice it, little exactly. can't Stop, to Stop, drop, it. and roll. <laughs> yes, it won't yes. actually hit. The, your screen won't hit the, the ground because it's it's curved and bent, twisted. So, yeah, <laughs> curved could be nice if, if, if there is an actual practical reason to have it, but I, I want battery life and durability, not not a screen that curves. You heard it here first. Uh, first uh, this, is what, this is what consumers are demanding. Yes. Um, before we go on to our next topic, let's pause for our, a word from our sponsors. We do have a, a sponsor this week. Uh, let's face it, whether you pay online bills or post pictures on Facebook or Google+, all of your online activity is being tracked by some entity. I suspect the Illuminati. Surf the web and do everything with full privacy and security by using Hotspot Shield. It secures your online browsing and also gives you full privacy. Visit j.mp slash techhiveshield, all one word. And thanks to Hotspot Shield for sponsoring this week's episode of Clockwise. Jason Cross, you have a topic for us. Yes. Uh, Google seems intent on ruining YouTube. They have... Uh, <laughs> It started with like new a new sort of buffering loading system that prevents the entire clip from being buffered, so you can't skip ahead. And when you try and skip back, it doesn't load, and yeah, and then it won't ever save the size of the video that you want to play or the resolution, even though you set your settings to save those things. And it uh, they keep changing the interface. Now, most recently, they dumped the entire comment system and made it based on Google Plus because they're desperate to make people use Google Plus. Uh, so, which made it almost impossible to like directly reply back to certain comments or to subscribe to people or to directly message the person who runs a channel. I want to know: Is it time for a challenger to the throne to come up and? I mean, there are a lot of other video services out there, but is there one that can challenge YouTube or can someone make one that challenges YouTube? And if so, what would that need to be? What do they need to do? Gosh, um, I feel like we have a lot of video services currently out and about, um, depending on what your video type is. The problem is there's no real YouTube fits that lovely niche that covers the the range of dumb five-second cat video and two-hour masterpiece or, like, sports video. Like, there's just such a, a random mishmash collection in YouTube right now. And I feel like all of the other video sites are currently targeted towards specific markets. Vimeo, of course, is the, the one I always think of as the prime competitor to YouTube. But I don't think Vimeo has really any desire to, to invite the world to be like, yeah, upload your random cat videos. YouTube uh, and, and Google really have a an advantage here because they have, you know, so they can offer the typical user so much free space. You know, most of the other YouTube, well, most of the other uh, video sharing sites require you to, you know, have an account and then pay for a certain amount of storage. Whereas with YouTube, you, you don't have to think about storage. And that's kind of, I feel like that's what made it so popular right off the bat. Of course, I... Amazon could always jump into the mix if they really wanted to, uh, but I, you know, I, I find I don't know who would who would come up and and step up as sort of the next great uh, video sharing service competitor. Maybe maybe Flickr wants to get into videos. They also have a a big setup. What do you think? 
I, I you know, it's interesting. You, you, you put it exactly right. The YouTube has this really open door, uh, you know, sort of policy of almost everything gets uploaded there. Um, and they had a, an early starter advantage in this market. I, I'm not sure who the competition is because, like you said, everybody's sort of got a niche. And, and things like Flickr and Vimeo and Facebook even really focus on, you know, things uploaded by their members and not as much, I feel like, from stuff from companies or you know networks or what have you and it's all very tied to you know a person's account i mean i i think one of the things one of the weird missteps that that google has made with youtube is this whole they keep trying every time i log in it tries to get me like do you want to associate this with your google plus profile and use your real name on it and i'm like not really <laughs> um yeah, i'm perfectly happy with with the way it is now um the other problem is that the sort of how you're going to make money off it, I think, is a relevant question because you can't really charge. I think they Google's tried that a little bit, but it hasn't really worked out for them. Um, it's mostly ad based, and that and that's perfect for Google, which makes most of its money off ads. But if you start, you know, looking at a lot of the competition, they're not, I feel, as well positioned to necessarily take advantage of that. In that market, it seems like Facebook would be the biggest possible competitor. Um, but you know, nobody has the ability really to serve ads like Google does. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe Microsoft might, might be behind it, but really, do you want a Microsoft made video sharing service? That doesn't sound necessarily very, uh, hip or cool. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I agree. I think there's a lot of things that, uh, you know, I don't necessarily need to see YouTube replaced, but I feel like it does need to at least feel like somebody is competing with it so that it has an impetus to improve itself and not make all these sort of terrible decisions when it comes to design or integrating with Google Plus or ads and, and all that. So I, I don't know what the answer is, but I, I agree that I desperately like to see somebody throw their hat into that ring. Phil? Well, one of the things that I um, love about YouTube right now is that the buffering may no longer work on the actual videos, but those those ads that appear before them play without a flaw, and I think that's great. <laughs> More of that, please, Google. Uh, at the risk of exposing myself as um, a horrible elitist, I think your competition from YouTube is going to uh, be from someone who actually – uh, throws up a few barriers to entry so that it's not anyone can post their their videos, that there's more of a curation and uh, a quality control that that goes on there. Um, while I, I agree that uh, uh, forcing Google Plus down, down our throats via YouTube is not a great idea, anything that eradicates the YouTube comments uh, uh, section is, is wonderful. That's the worst place on the internet. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> What I, I I I feel that that a place that makes it easier to uh, search and find good high quality videos is the the kind of service that's going to uh, give YouTube a run for its money. And by having that barrier to entry, maybe there won't uh, be the over reliance on ads where you have a pre roll ad and ads that pop up in the middle of the video that you have to dismiss and and all the 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 sort of schlocky things that uh, uh, YouTube had to add because you're getting what you pay for as a consumer. So um, that's how I'd take YouTube. Hmm. I kind of feel like that already a little bit exists in Vimeo, as, as Serenity said. Uh, but I think I think she's right that whoever comes at this, first of all, has to have the kind of deep pockets to handle this ridiculous volume of video. And they have to have that sort of open door policy. I would think Yahoo maybe 
would be my most obvious, sort of the most obvious, like she said, Flickr, whether it's Flickr integrated or it's some other Yahoo thing. I think they would be the most obvious sort of t- person to try and take on the, wow, YouTube is starting to stink. Let's see if we can grab those people. But you got to have it be, hey, I shot a thing on my ca- on my phone. I want to put it up there for people to see. Um, and that's not easy to do. Yeah, you you know Yahoo or, or even Instagram maybe I don't know that seems like another potential one if they if they expand how long they let those videos go. Well, you know Facebook uh, just does things wonderfully, so <laughs> that's something to look forward to. I trust all large tech companies. What are you talking about, yeah. <laughs> Ren? What do you what do you got for us today? Gosh, well, so um, so this Tuesday, uh, our our dear friends at Twitter announced a. a Cool new feature called custom uh, custom timelines, uh, and interestingly, you know, Twitter's been making a lot of improvements uh, to the aesthetic on the web and decisions on you know adding new new features via the web. And this is their first uh, their first big new feature that is not web first. It's actually uh, going to be available on TweetDeck, Twitter's uh, one of Twitter's third party apps that uh, they acquired and now run. Uh, and custom timelines are basically like a combination of uh, Storify, which is a third-party program or a third-party web service that allows you to sort of curate what tweets you you like to see and put them in a in a custom as as it's called a custom timeline. Uh, but there's also a, an aspect of Twitter's search feature where the idea is you can use the custom timeline API to target a specific keyword or set of keywords and see all of the tweets that pertain to those keywords. You could already do this a little bit with saved searches and some of Twitter's third-party apps, uh, but this is the first time I'm really seeing sort of an effort to to unify that and present us a, a challenge to Storify. I think it's really interesting that uh, that Twitter's come out with this feature and also that Twitter's come out with this feature for an app rather than the web, considering all of their emphasis on web first and the fact that they're going to be opening it up as an API to uh, to the other third-party app makers, especially after all of the restrictions that they placed on it. So I'm just – I'm curious what you guys think. Dan? I – you know, I sometimes feel like I live in a different Twitter world for some people because I use third-party apps rather than going to the website because I'll see sometimes they'll change something on the website and there will be all these people in my timeline complaining and I'm like, I literally have no idea what you're talking about right now. Um, you know – this this reminds me a lot of Twitter lists, which I thought was a great idea, but one that turned out to be kind of unwieldy and really hard to use. Uh, and I never ended up spending that much time with them because simply the act of trying to organize all my all the people I follow into lists was just like, it's more time than I want to spend on this. Uh, and I mean, I can see why this is attractive to Twitter because it lets them sort of work with partners and integrate, you know, this as a, a something for live events or, or things like that. And and Twitter, of course, is, is still trying to figure out how to best make money. Um, so I don't know that this is something that I find terribly compelling um, it is interesting that they're working at least with some apps, although TweetDeck, obviously, I believe they own. So that's not really, I don't know how, how uh, you know, sort of they will, how much they'll push for third-party clients to adopt this. Um, but, you know, I really like Twitter. I feel like I've got my own Twitter sort of experience down, though, and I, I don't see really how this enhances the way that I end up using Twitter. But I'm sure that there are a lot of people who will find it attractive, especially on the on the corporate side. And I guess that's good for them. <laughs> Phil? Well, I'm not one of those people, Dan. So thank you for throwing it to me. No, I'm in in a way I'm 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 
the exact opposite of Dan in that I uh, almost exclusively uh, use uh, Twitter's website and its uh, and its uh, homegrown app. And um, actually, many of the changes that Twitter has been uh, introducing lately, uh, photos appearing in my in my timeline, whether I want them there or not, are are kind of driving me towards third party apps. Um, uh, custom timelines, it doesn't appeal to me. But then, uh, Storify, I've always kind of had a a mixed relationship with I've been experimenting with that a little bit. I'm 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 not the biggest early adopter of things. It it generally um I I I'm dragged kicking and screaming on 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 this sort of feature. Uh eventually I'll see a use for it. I don't right now. Um if you do, hey, good for you. Um, <laughs> Jason Cross, do you see a use for for custom timelines? Explain it to me. Uh, I don't see a use for myself. I don't see this solving any problem that lists or save searches doesn't already solve. Um, and it doesn't solve my number one Twitter gripe, which is that there's people I want to follow. I just don't want to hear them talk about a certain topic. Like Sunday is a useless Twitter day for me because all it is is people talking about football, which I don't care about. But I I like these people and I want to follow them the rest of other six days of the week. So this isn't that. This seems like this is tailor-made for their next big frontier, which is TV. All those TV shows that have hashtags and, you know, tweet us at so-and-so and stuff. This seems like this is made for them to have something better to do than put a little hashtag up on the screen and try to get people to engage in their show that way. It lets people engage around a hot topic of a show or a live event or the latest version of the, you know, the American Idol or whatever it is. Uh, and and be more fully involved as a sort of second screen app experience. So I think this is what they're aiming this stuff at more than the regular everyday user making their own sort of use out of it. I'm sorry, my sports tweets upset you. Yes, you're one you need of a, the guilty you, ones, but you're not. You need a far from the third party only. client, Jason, with muting. That's what you need. They exist. It's possible to do that. They're lovely. Can they? Can it mute just sports stuff? Can I say mute? Well, you, you're putting yeah. keywords. Basically, you put in keywords that you don't want to hear about. Yeah, but but it's. Use... I mean, obviously, you would like something that's smarter that can sort of semantically analyze. Like, hmm, this tweet's probably about sports. That's I haven't quite got there yet, but uh, you know, I could see somebody working on that. They're still being able to mute, say, Philadelphia Eagles works really, really well. <laughs> and bidets. <laughs> just to you know, just to randomly. grab two random examples. Yes, yeah, random topics. Just random. Um, so, uh, that is the last of our regularly scheduled topics. I'm going to throw out a bonus question this week. And while thinking about it, I I decided to ask about everybody's favorite dish. Yes, everybody. I'm imposing that on all of you. Pizza. Um, so let me ask you guys, thin crust or deep dish? Phil? Okay. I feel very strongly about this. (laughs) I'm glad that you asked. Excellent. Excellent. I am glad I asked as well. With all due respect to, um all our listeners in the Chicagoland area. (laughs) I'm a big fan of your city. I think it's one of the greatest eating towns in America. Don't call your deep dish pizza a pizza. It's not a pizza. It's a baked dish. Uh, Thin crust all the way. Thin crust now, thin crust forever. Deep, Deep dish, thick crust, that is a sucker's bet. Oh, that that is a decisive opinion. Jason Cross, would you care to rebut? Uh, You know, as much as I enjoy what... Uh, Phil says they erroneously call a deep dish pizza, especially since I live a block from Little Star and can go get like really good deep dish pizza here. I think I have to agree that for your day-to-day pizza activity, 
you know, it's got to be thin crust. It's got to be a slice, a big slice you can pick up and hold and fold. And yeah, uh, so I think that that's usually my favorite as much as I, I do enjoy a good deep dish pizza. Ren? I will third. Deep dish pizza is one step removed from lasagna. Not that it's not delicious, but it's not pizza. I mean, you can't really go wrong with cheese and sauce and bread, but I do prefer pizza that I don't have to eat with like a spoon or something. So I'm going to I'm going to back up. It's, I'm going to make it four for four. Unanimous. Thin crust pizza is the only pizza we have decided here today. Sorry, Nobody you lose, to Chicago. This question. <laughs> this question never needs to be addressed again. Get your act together, Windy City. And since we have been carefully watching the clock, that is literally all the time we have today. Phil Michaels, thank you for being here. Your pizza is free. (laughs) Jason Cross, thank you for being here as well. It's been my pleasure. And Serenity Caldwell, thank you for joining us today. I do what I can. So until next time, from all of us here at Clockwise, watch what you say and keep watching the clock. Bye. Bye.